Merry Christmas, Grace. It's wonderful to be worshiping with you this morning. Our scripture passage is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, the birth of our Savior. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, turn to page 857. That is 857. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. It is good to see you all here on this Christmas Eve morning. I can't think of a better way to start and end my day today than with our church family. Come back out tonight, 6 p.m., for our candlelight service. A few weeks ago, we started a new series in the Gospel of Luke. 
the Gospel of Luke. This is one of the four historical accounts of the life of Jesus. And Luke's Gospel in particular, if you stick around, or maybe even just today, you'll, you'll see that, that this is good news. Luke wants to show us how Jesus came to bring good news to everyone. All kinds of people. Rich people, poor people, Jewish people, Gentiles, upper class, lower class, white collar, blue collar, young, old, married, single, widowed, all people. God said, Jesus says, look, this really is good news for everyone. And it's a really exciting um, gospel, a book to consider. Hope you'll join us through this journey through Luke's gospel. Today's message, A Savior, Christ the Lord. Look, we have the count before us of the birth of Jesus. Let me just ask you, how many of you have heard this text read before? How many of you? Go ahead, raise your hand. Yep, okay. If you have never had, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but has anyone here, I just want to, has anyone never heard this? Maybe a few. Look, if this is your first time, I'm actually kind of jealous. That, I mean, how exciting right, to hear this for the very first time. But look, we, this text can be so familiar to us. We've heard it so many times that it can actually lose its sense of wonder, can it? It can kind of feel like, yeah, 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 I heard it, Charlie Brown, I hear, I hear it all the time. <laughs> right, and yet for, Chris, for Christians, this is like a big deal, Right? This is meant to feel and, 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 and set. It's meant to be like, sort of like a, going to a fancy restaurant. Right? Every course in the meal is supposed to get better and better. We're supposed to go, wow, wow, wow. Did you, did you feel that when you read this? Or were you like, I know, Quirinius, whoever that was, Syria. <laughs> and there were shepherds and they were sore afraid, whatever sore means, right? No, this, this story should take our breath away, but if we're honest, it doesn't. Look, what if, just what if what happened 2,000 years ago on this starry night, what if it changes everything about history? What if? What if the birth of Jesus, I mean, just could you imagine, what if it literally marked the year that we're living in? Some of you will get that later. What if... More books were written about this child born in Bethlehem than any other person in history. What if this Jesus is the hero you've always been longing for and needed? And what if his birth means that your life is much more than just this life? What if? I would submit to you that it does. All those things it does. So I want you to enter this story and, and hopefully see it with fresh eyes today. See why this is good news of great joy. Three lessons today. Lesson number one, the birth of Jesus is historical and providential. Providential means ordained by God or God is overseeing it. It's historical and providential. Historical first. Look at verse 1 and 2. Why does Luke, who's a physician, we know, by the way, 
He's a doctor, a medical doctor. He, he said in verse 1 and 2 he, of this book that he, he, went, he set out to write a meticulous account, an orderly account. Why does it make a point to mention that the birth of Jesus took place during the reign of Caesar Augustus and that this was during the first census of Quirinius, governor of Syria? What in the world does that have to do with the Savior? Doesn't that seem like unnecessary information? No. No. Luke is writing an historical account of the life of Jesus. And as a master investigator, he gives us details that authenticate this account. Luke wants it to be crystal clear. If you are hearing this, if you are reading this, look, he's saying this is not just myth. This is not fantasy or fable or legend. How do fairy tales or myths normally begin? Once upon a time, right? Or long ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> those are our kind of myths, right? We love those. Is that how this, is that how this story, right, of the birth of, of the, the, the founder of the greatest religion, the, the most adherents in history, is that how this starts? No, it starts with Luke naming the most powerful man in the world, Caesar Augustus. By the way, his name is Octavian. And he was so powerful, he consolidated all the power of Rome in the Roman Empire. Vast conquest. He was the first to receive the title Emperor Augustus. Octavian was so venerated in the Roman Empire, he literally had godlike status. We have inscriptions today that say of him, he is, quote, the savior of the world. And what is this Caesar doing? He's doing what emperors do best. He's collecting taxes. And Luke is saying to his audience, remember that year? Remember when crazy Caesar, well, he didn't say crazy. Remember when Caesar called this census and everyone had to go back to their hometown? Remember that year? He's saying, that's what I'm telling you, this happened. This exact year, Luke wants it to be clear, this is history. This is how it actually happened. This is how God decided to break into human history and begin his great rescue mission. Do you think the birth of Jesus sounds like a fairy tale? Tell that to the entire Roman Empire who had to travel back to their hometown to pay taxes. Taxes aren't a part of fairy tales. Nightmares, yes, but not fairy tales. Right? Is this a fairy tale? Tell that to Mary and Joseph who travel nearly 100 miles on foot, maybe by donkey, while Mary is nine months pregnant. Tell that to them when they're delivering this precious baby boy, not in a luxurious palace where kings are normally born, or even in a, in a sacred temple. No, they're, or even, maybe even a comfortable hotel, right? No, he, he's, he's this is likely in a courtyard for animals. No, friends, this is not a fairy tale or fable. This is history being told by those who were there. And that's why Luke includes so many historical details. He wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is history. And it's important because Christianity stands apart because it is rooted in historical facts. At the University of Maryland, I studied, I had a minor in comparative religious studies, and I studied all the major religions, and listen, most, almost all the major religions begin with or, and have a level of sort of like 
otherworldliness, fairy tale, legend kind of language. And Christianity stands apart by saying, nope, this is an event that actually happened. It's historical. Now, unbeknownst to Caesar, who was simply seeking to fill his coffers with more money, his decree was actually ordained by God to fulfill God's divine plan of bringing the Messiah, the Savior, into the world at exactly the right place and exactly the right time. What do I mean? Well, God told us 700 years earlier through the prophet Micah, he said, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, meaning you're, you're a nobody town, you're this small little town, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. This is a prophecy. This is a prediction. This is God saying 700 years earlier in this small town, this city of David, this town, that's where the Savior, the Messiah, the one who is from of old, meaning he's had no beginning and he has no end, that's where Jesus will be born. And so God ordained all the events from Caesar to Mary being pregnant at the time to Joseph being from the line of David for them to travel back to Bethlehem. And it's important that he is from the line of David. Gabriel told Mary, remember, that her son, Jesus, would sit on the throne of her forefather, David, King David. Jesus is from the royal line of David. So many prophecies speak of David and, and this Davidic king, this king that's going to come who will be just and righteous and he'll sit on David's throne. And now we see Jesus is that king. And so even though Caesar is flexing his power and demanding people to pay taxes, God is actually proving the supremacy of his sovereignty. That his power is being flexed in an even greater way. Yes, Caesar is decreeing, but God is sovereignly decreeing to bring the Savior, the true Savior of the world, in exactly the way he had planned from the beginning. And I just ask you, isn't that, isn't that astounding? All these details God is working so that this one baby is born on the day, in the time, in the place, in the way that he is born to accomplish God's will that he knew from the very beginning of time. What does this teach us? It teaches us at least this, that God is not only in control of the grand events in the history of salvation, which he is, God is also in control of the everyday ordinary events of our daily lives. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe, look, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has promised you, he's made a covenant promise to you that no matter how life seems to be going right now, no matter how bad things get, no matter what is happening to your health, to your relationships, to your job, no matter what is going on, God is working all things out for his glory and for your good. This is good news today. That he is that sovereign, that powerful, that wise, and yes, that loving. The birth of Jesus is historical and providential. But lesson number two, the birth of Jesus relieves our fear 
and offers us peace with God. Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem when she's nine months pregnant and she ends up giving birth while on travel. So all of her birth plans, she scraps them. They're gone. Right? She knew the hospital. She knew the nurse who was going to help her. She knew everything. Gone. Boom. Done. Verse 7, Mary wraps the baby herself, lays him in a manger. This is where animals feed, which suggests that he was born in some kind of stable or or a place where animals are. It's likely, the the word for in there is guest house. So it's likely, look, his birth may have took place in a poor home, but, but where animals share the space with humans. Or maybe a courtyard. Right? There's no place in the room, but so they're, they're out in the open courtyard where animals are kept. We don't know exactly where he's born. Justin Martin in the second century said he was born in a cave. Maybe. Here's the point, though. Here's the point of all these details. The point is the whole birth narrative of Jesus is meant to show us he's born in obscurity and poverty. There's no room for the Son of God. Not even in a Ritz. Not even in a Motel 8. Where is he staying? I don't even know what you consider this. It's not good accommodations. That's what we know. And it's obscure. It's totally obscure. This is where Christianity begins, and this is where it always begins. In a place of humility. Jesus is born into humility, born into obscurity. Look, if you're going to become a Christian, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to sense your, this sense of need and dependence, just like the baby Jesus. I just want, just pause for a moment. Can you sense what's going on? I didn't say, can you hear it? Can you sense it? Right? The smells, the sights. This is a very earthy experience. I'm not going to go into detail, right? This is a birth. Anybody here see a birth or give birth? It's messy. It's weird looking. (laughs) It's beautiful and yet yet messy. I mean, Joseph's wiping off Jesus of all the blood and all the other mucus. and and, And Mary has to, nobody's helping her. She's got to figure out how to swallow this baby in cloth, not in fine linen, but some kind of weird ragged cloth, and she's looking around. Where do I lay the Son of God? Oh, okay. Animals, can you here, back up a little Back up. Here you go. Here you go, baby. Right, we get these beautiful bassinets for our babies. We make sure they're, they're nice and clean, right? The cleanest types of, and, and Jesus has got like, you know, donkey do on him. I don't know. He's, he's just, this is very strange. The smells And yet in the midst of this humble birth, God the Father could not let the advent of Jesus go unnoticed. The greatest event in human history at this point in history had to be celebrated. And so in this, another iron, notice the irony in all of this. Caesar's doing his thing and God's like, no, but I'm doing my thing. It's it's even greater than your thing. The, the son of God, the king of kings, he's born in a, a, in a lowly manger in a place where nobody even knows. And yet in another ironic twist, God the Father sends a birth announcement to shepherds. Now, don't let a romanticized view of shepherds taint your understanding of how crazy this is. That we're even talking about shepherds. In first century Israel, shepherds were considered unclean according to the law. 
They were outcasts, really, in the Jewish culture. They, were, they made very low wages. They were seen as peasants. They were located at the bottom of the scale in terms of prestige and power, and they literally stunk. Like you wouldn't want to have them over tonight for your Christmas Eve party. And these are the people whom God says, I'm going to announce the greatest event in human history, and I'm not going to go to priests. I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to, go to a bunch of Pharisees. No, I'm not, I'm not going to kings and princes. I'm going to go to the, lowly of the lowliest of the low. What does that tell you about the the very work of Jesus, the mission of Jesus? Look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. This is at night. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. In the Greek, mega fear, megaphobia. Isn't it odd that the shepherds were not scared of the dark? but now they're scared of the light, right? God's light exposes our darkness. That's one of the themes of Christmas. Look, when my kids were younger, they were scared of the dark, and I didn't blame them. I never got upset with them, and when they would go to bed, we'd tuck them in bed, and we'd walk out, and they'd say, Dad, make sure to put the bathroom light on, please, right? Just please have some kind of light so when I'm in bed, it's not too dark, and I won't feel scared. I need some kind of light because we're kind of afraid of the dark, and we would oblige them. Of course, some light. Ah, now I can go to back. Now I can go to sleep. But with God, it's different. The light of God's presence, ironically, often brings fear, not comfort. This happens so many times in the Bible. You know, Exodus three, Moses. He's standing near the burning bush. The, the very presence of God, the manifest presence, and he tells Moses, "You better take off those sandals." Why? Because it's holy ground. It's the presence of God in the tabernacle. It comes down, and now Moses and the people, they can't even enter. It's overwhelming. God shows up, and people are afraid. God's glory shows up, and people skirt back in fear. Why? Why? Here's why. Because when God's glory gets close to you, it reminds you that you're not God. Even though God's glory leads to fear, I would actually submit to you it's an act of his grace. What do I mean by that? Many years ago, many years before, our first parents, Adam and Eve, lived in the glory of God's presence, literally. The fullness of God's glory, you know, face to face, shoulder to shoulder, God was there with them, perfect intimacy with God. No sin, no suffering, right? No shame, no hiding. Why would you have to hide? right? Just perfect kind of intimacy, living life to the fullest. It was paradise. No reason to fear. But then one thing, one day, things went terribly wrong. As one preacher put it, Adam and Eve decided to consult a consultant. And that consultant convinced them of this tragic lie, right? Adam and Eve had everything they needed. They had God. They had beautiful things. They had limits. And this consultant comes in and he says, no, 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 no. You got things all wrong. Only you can decide right from wrong. Why are you listening to God? Look, if he, if he was so good, why would he put a barrier? Why would he say you can't eat from that tree? Don't mind all this other good stuff, but why can't you eat from that? Shouldn't you be your own master? This is what success looks like. 
Stop living under the rule of God and start determining your own course of life. And when they do that, they chose to reject God's gracious rule over them. And, and what they're doing is they're actually rejecting God himself. And so they eat the fruit and they decide in that moment, yeah, we know better than God. This must make us wise. It must be good for us. And they decide, we'll be our own God. We'll be our own God. Don't we do that too? Isn't there this internal pull to do life apart from God? There's this internal stubborn independence. I can do it myself. I don't need your help. Right? We see it with kids. Eventually they're like, I don't need you, daddy. I don't need you, mommy. Oh, yeah? All right, good luck. Let's see how long that goes. How many things you break. Okay, now I need my help. Yeah, I do need your help. We get older and we just kind of mask that. I want to do it myself. I can take care of my own life. The Bible calls this rejection of God's sin. You can call it whatever you want. The Bible calls it sin. And then we find ourselves in a crisis. We think we can do life apart from God. And then you find yourself in a crisis or some kind of trial. And then you, just, and then you realize just how inadequate you are to deal with life's troubles. And when God shows up again to Adam and Eve, after they sin, after they think they can be their own master, what happens? They're filled with great fear. And they hide. They grasped for a role that didn't belong to them and they couldn't handle. And so when God shows up, they hide. It's the curse of sin that separates us from God. And look, we've been hiding from God ever since. Like Adam and Eve, every one of us tries to be our own master in our own way, right? We all do it in a different, it, it kind of manifests itself differently. We want to be in charge of our own lives. But deep down, we know, look, we know we are unqualified for that role. We don't have the skills. And that's, and that's why so many of us live in fear. Why do we have, a, why do we have fear? Why are, why are so many of us afraid of failure? Why are so many of us afraid of rejection? Why are so many of us afraid of the future? Why are so many of us afraid of death? Do you know what your fears are? Do you know why you're afraid? Sure, we can suppress those fears to the best of our ability and try to get by and manage life, but deep down, there is still fear. And sometimes God will allow circumstances to shine his light into our broken lives, exposing that fear in order to destroy the delusion that you are in control. And anything that brings home the truth that you are not in charge of your own life is an act of God's grace. Maybe God is doing that in your life right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what setback you're experiencing, what trial, what crisis, what situation. And, you, and this could be something if you're a student, all the way up to whatever age, it doesn't matter. Here's the good news. It's good news if you're going through something like that because it, it can expose our inadequacy and sin, but it can also expose our need for a Savior. In a sense, every one of us needs to get to a place where fear sets in at the truth that you are not in control, but there, are God, there is a God who really is because that's exactly what the shepherds experience in this moment. It's what John Newton described in, in his song, Amazing Grace. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to what? Fear. Yes, fear first. And then grace, my fears relieved." The angel says, now that you're afraid, shepherds, 
Now that, now that you are in touch with reality, I can tell you how to alleviate those fears. Fear not. Behold, consider this. I bring you good news of great joy. What's the good news? He says, unto you, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you. Look, usually we say a baby is born unto their family, right? Unto their parents. A child has been born to to me, to Dave, Beth, and I. This is our child. But no, no, this child doesn't belong. He, he belongs to everyone. That's why the angel says, unto you, to these shepherds. Jesus was born for shepherds and people like that who needed rescuing from their sin. Anyone have presents under their tree right now? Maybe even one. Oh, um, but I know some, Santa's bringing some for some of the kids. All right, I get it. All right, but may, maybe you have some presents under your tree. Do you put a little note on there or a little sticky that says from so-and-so to so-and-so? Why do we do that? Right? So that my kids don't rip all of them open, right? So they know this is for so-and-so, this is from so and it's from uh, whoever it's from, right? There's a point. There's a point. It's from someone, it's to someone. That's what the angels are saying right here. This child, this Savior is a gift from God to you, to you, shepherds. And if it's to the shepherds, the, the, the symbolism, the meaning is it's for everyone. It's for everyone who will accept it. It's for first century Jewish shepherds living in Bethlehem, and it's for 21st century Americans living in the D.C. area. Those of you who feel marginalized by society, those of you who may be hurt by the church, Christmas is good news for you. Jesus was born unto you. If you will humble yourself and recognize you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough to be your own God. You see, Jesus didn't just come into the world to show us our sin. He came into the world to rescue us from our sin. He came to restore our relationship with God. He came because of love. Look at verse 14. This is the point of Christmas. The angel says unto them, the angels say and sing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God has glory. We get peace. Jesus came to give us peace. God's peace doesn't take away our suffering. Did you know that? We wish it did right now, but it doesn't. At least not yet. It's coming. There is a peace coming. But instead of taking away our suffering, God does something more extraordinary, I submit to you. Instead of taking away our suffering, he enters into it with us. You say, why is that more exciting? Why is it more amazing? It's the miracle of the incarnation. This is what makes the birth of Jesus so amazing because God takes on flesh and blood. He becomes a baby. He enters into the chaos and mess of our lives. He experienced suffering and loss like you and I do. And I say it's amazing because no other religion claims that God comes down and becomes one of us. They might say he comes down and becomes like us, but no one says God comes down and literally becomes flesh and blood and literally dies physically. 
Why? So that he could sympathize with us in our sufferings and pain and ultimately to do something about our suffering. Jesus had to become a baby to be one of us. He had to live the perfect life that you and I should have lived but couldn't because of our sin. Right? The Apostle Paul puts it this way, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's this bar, this standard, and we've all fallen short. We can't reach up to it. And that means if if we can't reach up to it, God has to come down to us. And the consequences for our sin is death. Physical, spiritual death. Eternal separation from God in hell. Maybe that kind of punishment sounds too harsh. Maybe it doesn't fit with your view of what you think God should be like. But the reality is that the God of the Bible is both holy and loving. His holiness demands sin be punished. And if I had time, I, would, I, I think it would be fairly obvious that if you had a God, if there's a God who's not just, if he doesn't punish evil, then that's not a God worth following. But his love also compels him to do something about our sin, our evil. And that's why Jesus was born. That's why he's here in a manger in this obscure place in poverty. But look, we don't end at Christmas. We don't wrap it up and go, great, baby Jesus, woo, celebrate baby Jesus. No, that's the start. That's the beginning of the rescue mission. The birth of Jesus means nothing without the death and resurrection of Jesus. The reason Jesus took on human nature was so that one day he could die for humanity itself. And in his dying, he becomes our sin bearer. God places on him all of our sin. He literally becomes sin who knew no sin so that by faith we might receive his righteousness, his perfect record. Jesus came to rescue us from sin and to give us the gift of eternal life. His life living in us. And if you're here today and you think that being a good person is all it takes to go to heaven, that's not the message of Jesus. It's not the message of the Bible. It is the message of every other religion, but it's not the message of Christianity. The only way to experience God's presence now and forever, it's better news than being good. Okay? It's better news than that. It's admitting you can't be good and then trusting Jesus as your Savior, the one who rescues you from sin and gives you his life. A Savior has been born unto you. Have you accepted that message today? That's what Christmas is all about. That's what Jesus wants. Is there room in your heart for him? Have you prepared him room? Look, he came to give you peace. The peace that Jesus offers brings wholeness and rest to our weary souls. It's peace with God, knowing that we don't have to prove ourselves or or have to show that we merit it. No, it's also the peace of God. Just maybe this afternoon, do a thought, thought experiment. Think of another product or person who offers you real peace. Just think about what all the ads are telling you about this thing or that thing or this experience or that person and think, does that really give me peace? Will the iPhone 15 bring me world peace and peace in my heart? Good grief, no. Will my team winning the Super Bowl or, I mean, it'd be great, but like, would it, would it bring me the kind of peace? No, I still gotta get up and do my life the next day. But if Jesus comes into your life, everything changes. 
everything. Lesson number three. The birth of Jesus is worth sharing and treasuring. At the end of this account, the shepherds, after hearing the news, they immediately go to Bethlehem. They see this baby, Jesus. It's exactly the way the angels described it. They confirm all the facts are true. This is no ordinary baby. This is the Savior who is Christ, meaning Messiah or hero. And he is the Lord. Lord at, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. And notice what they do next. Verse 17. After seeing Jesus, after seeing Mary and Joseph, it says they go out. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. The shepherds go out sharing the good news of Jesus. Remember, they're nobodies in society. These are outcasts, and yet they're boldly sharing the good news. It has that kind of effect on people. And it says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Meaning, the word wondered me, they marveled. They were amazed. The people don't outright reject the shepherd's message. They start to consider it. Look, only the shepherds got angels telling them the good news. All the rest of the people, they got shepherds, right? We want angels. Some of you are like, if I had an angel telling me right now, maybe I'd believe. But it was only the shepherds. All the rest of the people, they got lowly shepherds, not angels. If you're a Christian, what will it take for you to take the message of Jesus to those who don't know it and those who desperately need it? What will it take for the message of Jesus to be so precious to you, so life-giving, that you can't help but share it with others no matter the risk? Relationally, vocationally. You see, these shepherds are transformed by the good news of Jesus. They couldn't help but share it. You see, the crazy thing about this story is that after these shepherds witness the God of all creation wrapped up in a swaddling rag, the one who would rescue them from their own sin and death, the one who would give them eternal life. After this life-changing experience, where do they go next? Look at the text, verse 20. And the shepherds returned. Returned to what? To their same dead-end job. <laughs> to their same old life. Do you see? God didn't change their circumstances. He didn't tell them, look, I'm elevating you. You're no longer shepherds. You are going to be priests in my... No! Go back to your stinky sheep. But you have good news of great joy now. I've changed you. I've not changed your circumstances, but I've changed you. They had an encounter with Jesus, and they believed that the message of Jesus transformed their entire perspective on life. They're, they realized their life was no longer defined by their economic or their social status. How many of us are trying to define our lives by that? We know I'm a Christian, but I got to get ahead and work. I got to get that next thing. I got to, what are we defining our lives by? They started seeing their life as being defined by their Savior. 
Let me just say it clearly. Christian, your life is not defined by what you do or what you achieve. Your life is defined by what Christ has done and what he has already accomplished. The pressure's off. The pressure's off. Tonight might not go as planned. Tomorrow might not go as planned. I mean, it probably won't go as planned. And then Lord knows you get the day after Christmas. Right? The Christmas blues is like, huh, that's it, huh? (laughs) Go figure. But if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then your life has divine significance. Look, God has given you your relationships for a reason. He's given you your job. He's placed you in your job for a reason. You might not feel like you're making a big difference, but God has you there for a purpose. God has you there in your neighborhood for a purpose. You'll see every, every encounter, every relationship as an opportunity to shine the love of Jesus and share the message of Jesus. When Jesus defines your value, you won't be prone to, uh, to prove yourself to others by your achievements. You'll be free to serve, free to change the world because of Christ in you. Go tell it on a mountain, wherever your mountain is. But it's not just the shepherds who we hear about at the end of this text. It's also Mary, verse 19. It says she's treasuring these things up, pondering them, Two beautiful words. The word treasure means to, keep, to savor something, to keep it alive in her heart. It has to do with her affections. The, to ponder is more of a, a, a cognitive term. It means to make sense of things, to connect the dots. You see what Mary's doing here? She's letting the whole experience of Jesus being conceived miraculously and, and her being pregnant even before she's married and, and the long journey to Bethlehem and now having this baby in a way that she would never have imagined and, and now looking at him in this feeding trough and she's wondering, this is, this is the promised Messiah King? She's letting all these things transform her heart and her mind. That's ultimately what Jesus came to do. Are you letting the message of Christmas speak to your heart today? Is it going down deep? I mean, there's lots of messages right now. And I'm asking, is the message of Jesus being treasured right now in your heart? So much so that you can say with Mary, I can find comfort and joy even in the midst of great turmoil and pain. Can you celebrate what deserves to be celebrated even when all the details go disastrously wrong? Are you letting the message of Christmas speak to your mind as well? If you're not a Christian, are you willing to consider the facts, all the evidences of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus? Is, are you letting it, are you going to, are you trying to, are you going to connect the dots? Are you going to blindly say, ah, forget religion. I know those Christians, they're terrible people. They're hypocrites. Yeah, well, maybe they are, but what about Jesus? That's what I'm asking you to consider. Don't look at, I mean, my life is a wreck. But, I, but Jesus has transformed my heart. He has sealed me. I hope you see a change, but honestly, the change in my life doesn't prove or disprove. It's what Jesus came to do. I'm simply asking you, here's this gift from God to you, and Jesus is saying, will you open it? Will you receive it? Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we need you. 
We depend on you. Even now, I pray for those who are here, who are believers and and are struggling because, because if you are truly in control, it raises all kinds of questions as to why you would have allowed X to happen. Why would our lives look the way they do if you really are in control? Jesus, I pray that you would that you would minister your gospel into our hearts and minds, that we might say with Mary, be it unto me as the Lord has spoken, I am the Lord's servant. That we may be able to treasure this this beautiful gift even when we can't figure things out entirely. That we might realize that it's by Jesus being the center through which we can see everything else clearly. God, for those who don't know you, maybe they know the rules, maybe they know the Ten Commandments, maybe they come to church Christmas and Easter, maybe they're trying to obey the golden rule, but they do not have a life-changing relationship with Christ. I pray that today they would prepare you room in their hearts, that they would welcome you by faith They would admit their sin and trust in Jesus Christ right now. Embracing Jesus, admitting they need you to be the Savior, giving you full control. Lord, would you you overcome our fears right now? Whatever fears we have of tonight, tomorrow, next year, whatever fears we have, God, I pray that you would overwhelm our fears with your glory and your grace. May we behold you so that we really can fear not. Do this for your glory and for our good. We ask, we we plead in the name of Jesus. Amen.